this is my wife, Cheryl, and yeah. mother of my three children and my beautiful bride of almost 12 years. We're not marriage experts in any way, nor do we have a perfect marriage. We fuss, we fight, we work things out, and we do our best, but we're learning uh, through the process of how to deny ourselves. And today I asked her to come and share with us because you need a woman's perspective on this issue. And the theme message uh, for today is death of he, the death of the man. What does a man need to die to himself for so that the woman can become uh, confident and secure in the love that he has for her? I want to just say something, too, to all the ladies, because there's a lot of new people in our church. All the ladies, listen up. You want to talk to somebody, you want counseling, you want biblical instruction, we're going to send you to her or one of our elders' wives. I don't meet with women. I don't meet with women. I believe that is just a, uh, uh, an integrity issue. And the only woman in this room that I am in alone, alone with in a room uh, privately with ever is right here. Okay, I do that because I want to protect my marriage. Yeah, I want to protect this ministry. Yeah. And the enemy is out there. The enemy is no fool, and, he, and we're not ignorant of his, of his schemes, the Bible says. So, ladies, I've got to tell you, she's a gem. <laughs> she'll talk to you. She'll correct you. She'll slap you upside the head if you need that. <laughs> and she'll do it all in love. But uh, that's where we send all the ladies. So if you send an email to me, if you send an email to the church, talk, we're going to talk to me and you're a woman, we're going to send you to her or one of our elders' wives. Wonderful elders' wives as well in this church. All right, so the passage on the death of he is Ephesians 5, 25. It's one verse, and it's so powerful, and it's so hard, man, to do this. But here is the directive. Husbands, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. And how do we love our wives? As Christ loved the church. That's the example. And what did he do to love the church? He gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Give up your life for her. Now, if you trust the Bible as God's plan for your life, then there really is no argument here. And that if you trust the Bible, what you're doing in trusting the Bible is obeying the Bible. I guarantee you, you're going to have a happy life. Because the only way to have a happy life as a married man is to have a happy wife. Happy wife, happy life. Say it with me, men. Happy wife, happy life. There's like 15 guys that said that. I am I'm shocked. Okay, so you need to know this. If you want to be happy in your life, Jesus says it like this. If you want to be happy, married or single, Jesus says, lay down your life. That's what he says. You want to be happy in this life? You want to be satisfied? You want to get your life back? Lay it down. If you want to be happy and married, you got to lay it down for your wife. So when you're single, just Jesus. But when you're married, men, you got to add the equation to your wife. And so we got three things, and then we're going to close, that every man needs to lay down his life for if you're taking notes. And there are three very simple things. And under, under listen, the canopy of love, because love is a no-brainer. you got to have love. But in loving, what do you do? And under that canopy of love, you provide three things for your, for your wife. And I guarantee you provide these three things. You'll have a happy wife, and a happy wife leads to happy life. Okay, so number one, if you're taking notes, the S stands for security. Security. 
Men, you need to lay down your lives to give your wife security. What kind of security? First off, this is important, just general provision, financial security. You don't have to be rich, but you have to take care of her. She is the weaker partner, and she is your, your, your one with you in body, and she is, listen, your number one financial concern after the altar, that woman. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, here's what it says. The Lord God took the man. What was the man's name? Adam. Took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. Now, later on in the story, Adam goes to sleep, wakes up with a wife. But before he got a wife, God gave him a job. Amen. <laughs> Single guys, single men, don't be praying for a wife if you don't have your professional life under order. Seriously. You need to have a home ready for her. You need to be able to provide. She can't be worrying about where's the money going to come from. Are you going to be on unemployment for the rest of your life? And if he's on unemployment and you're dating him, ditch him. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. You've got to provide to work it, to keep it. Jesus laid down his life for us. The Bible says that Jesus is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. The difference between a man and a boy is that a man can take care of somebody other than himself. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. The difference between a man and a boy is not that he gets laid 15 times in the movie by 15 different women. That's Hollywood's version of a man. God's version of a man is you can take care of yourself, and a family. And so you provide. Uh, let's uh, uh, share your, some scriptures, and then Cheryl's going to talk. <laughs> Second Thessalonians 3.10, For when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul was pretty tough about that. No job, no food. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. It's a gift. It's a command of God. We talked about that on Wednesday night as well. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your goal. If you're not there yet, you make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you as before. And here's the formula from the Garden of Eden. So you go and you make it your goal, men, to have your professional life and career life in order, and you won't have to go searching for the girl. The girl God will bring into your life. That's how it happened in the Garden of Eden. That's how God still does it today. Don't be aiming at the girl. Aim at the money and the coin and the provision. So that when you have that under order and you're doing your best in the workplace, that woman has no worries financially. I definitely believe that love creates security. Um, And I think it's a big, big issue for women. We need to be secure in our marriage. And I like how 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 says, Love never gives up, it never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And when you get married, of course, circumstances change. You know, the kids come into play, and things change in your life. And that is the true test of love, I think. Um, So it it means that, you know, it's the love that's not going to stop when things things go go bad. So in our marriage, I've never had to worry about 
any of our finances, thank the Lord, because I would be terrible at it. He is the hunter of the family. <laughs> and that is the way I believe God intended it to be, that the man brings home the bacon, if you want to say. And <laughs> I just believe that to be scriptural, and I'm thankful that God has put somebody in my life that does that. I never. I think a big thing in marriage is financial worries. They say that's usually a lot of the conflict, and so if men can, you know, get that down, I think that's really good. And we do want to feel taken care of, feel secure. Now let me just ask okay. you in front of everybody, This we did not discuss this before. Have we ever been late on a single payment in our home? No. Never once. Never once. And I would never be, by the grace of God. You've got to establish this now. And if you're not there yet, that's got to be your aim. You're, you're creating a security blanket for her. She is there to be taken care of. Absolutely. Um, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I thought that was very interesting how provision is, is almost as bad as being an unbeliever. Not providing is almost as bad as being an unbeliever. It is as bad. That's exactly what it says. Right. Second thing that he says in, in Genesis 2.15 is this. He puts him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And the word keep is guard. The word keep in the garden in is guard. God put Adam in there and said, now guard it. And when I give you the wife, guard her too. We've got to protect her. We've got we've to provide for her financially. Now here's the other way we provide for her security. Emotional security. Emotional security. Men, if you talk to your wives in insecure terms... She will turn off the switch. She doesn't even hear insecure terms. She will not listen to that. It's like you've just thrown her uh, under the bus. It's like you've just annihilated the relationship. You've got to talk securely to her. Tell her that you love her. Tell her that, you're, that she's the only one for you. You've got to verbalize that. We'll get to that later. But you've got to make sure that you're not looking at other women around her or in any place. But especially around her got to guard your eyes because that's providing emotional security for her uh proverbs 5 uh 15 drink water from your own cistern and i think that's kind of interesting that it calls a woman a cistern there but he says drink water from your own cistern flowing from your own well job 31 verse 1 i made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a woman jesus said look if you lost if you're looking lustfully it's just like you committed adultery and he sets the standard very high and we look at that we say oh jesus it's so hard it's so terrible it's so hard it's so life draining no it's not this is life affirming every command in the bible is there to give you a better life i think that we forget that and so if you want a great happy life and a happy wife don't look don't look and don't or at least when we're not, you know, with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know we live in a swimsuit issue world, and, uh, you know, we're all about sex in this culture. It is, like, everywhere, and it's oversaturated. You've got to show her your loyalty with these. I only have eyes for you, as the old song says it. Um, so when a woman is sure of her lo husband's love, it, it, it energizes her. It empowers her. It provides emotional empowerment to her life. And I just wanted to add to that. As far as um, taking care of yourself physically, women, tend, when, once they get married, tend to think, oh, I'm married. I'll just let myself go. And that is very foolish. 
because men are visual. It's very important for you to keep your husband attracted to you. I just don't understand why women think it's a license to just let themselves go, you know. Um, so that is one big thing, I think, what married women need to hear. And then when you get married. And the kids. Sorry, the sorry, kids, the that's kids. right. When you have the kids, don't let it all become about the kids. Don't let it all, you know, that's a, that's a big temptation. We know this, too, in our marriage. The big temptation is, oh, the kids, the kids, the kids, oh, the kids, the kids, the kids. So you got to stop that. you got to make sure that this is tight. This is close, even through the kids, because the kids are going to leave, hopefully. <laughs> no boomerang kids in our house. They're gone. <laughs> but we're, tra we're training our kids to leave. We've already told them. My daughter knows it. 18, you're gone. You're going to college. You're going to the Army. I don't know where you're going. You're going somewhere. You're not coming back here. Um, when, when Cheryl and I got married, uh, a funny thing happened. I married Cheryl, and we went on our honeymoon. Seven days, came back to unpack all of her stuff in her parents' house. We came back to her parents' house, went upstairs, went to her room. The whole room had been redecorated, <laughs> remodeled. New, new bed, new uh, comforter, new, <laughs> new paint, new pictures on the wall. And there was Cheryl's stuff outside the room in a little box. <laughs> like, message received, thank you. She's not coming back. So, second thing that you need from a, uh, a man, women need from a man, uh, if you're taking notes, L stands for leadership. She needs leadership. Adam was given leadership in the garden. He was given dominion. He was given authority. He was supposed to lead all of creation and then lead a woman. So men, you've got to become a leader. You've got to learn how to lead yourself. Self-leadership is self-control. We are empowered to control ourselves by the Holy Spirit. So you lead yourself. You lead yourself financially. You lead yourself emotionally. You lead yourself in your business. In the New Testament, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 11.3. There is one thing I want you to know. The head or the authority of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. This is God's leadership structure. Christ, man, woman. It does not mean that the woman is less than the man. It does not mean that she is less valuable. It does not mean that she is subjugated to the whims of the man. It is just the authority structure that God has put in place in the home. Now let me... Be very, very clear, because this is where many people go, I'm out of here. The church is all about male dominance. I'm leaving. No, it's not. No, it's not. It is a misinterpretation of what leadership is when people think that men are supposed to subjugate or dominate their wives. You got it in your notes? Fill in these blanks. Leadership is not domination. It is initiation. That's all leadership is. It is taking the initiative. It is stepping out in faith in that area. It is stepping out first and leading by example. And we got three areas under leadership. These are like three subpoints for where you guys, us men, need to take leadership. Number one, this is big, spiritual leadership. The woman, the wife, is looking for a man who loves Jesus, who loves God, who doesn't have to be begged to go to church. She is looking for that. And I know that we have some men here that your wives don't want to go to church. I get that. But guess what? You're not just a spiritual leader in church. That, don't we talk about this all the time? You, it doesn't matter what you do here. It matters what you do out there. 
So even if your wife doesn't come to church with you, doesn't mean you can't be a spiritual leader to her. How do I lead her spiritually? I lead her with forgiving her. Doesn't forgiveness in our lives start with Christ forgiving us? We forgive because Christ forgave us. So men, you set the example. You take the initiative in forgiving her spiritually, giving grace to her in areas. Because she's going to sin, and she's going to sin against you. And you're going to sin against her. It's going to happen because you're with each other all the time. There's no avoiding it. So men, you need to forgive. What does forgiveness mean? It means now I don't hold what you did against me and against you anymore. I don't bring it up, and that's big. That's, that's huge. I'll bring it up, move on, let God's grace be there for you to move forward in spiritual leadership. And spiritual leadership is not Bible something, as uh, Tim was saying. It's, um, you know, being an example in the house. Um, you know, exhibiting the fruits of the spirit, patience, kindness, all the rest of those. Um, and, you know, women, men are natural winners. When they, uh, they in sports, they like to win. If they don't feel like they're going to win, what do they do? They take their ball and they go home and they sulk. <laughs> so they like to win. They like to win and they, they have to win. And if, if in these areas, if they feel like they're not going to win, they're going to take their ball and they're going to go home and sulk. They're just going to let you basically take control. And so in, in spiritual leadership, in, you know, or just leading the home, if a, the husband is trying to discipline the kids and you're just constantly nitpicking on him, this is how I want you to do it, and especially in front of the kids, he's just going to quit. He's going to take his ball and he's going to leave. So you have to let them do it. As women, we want it done a certain way, and sometimes you just got to let them do it. Um, so that's I number two, though. Number two is leadership in the spiritual matters. Leadership number two is in the family matters. In the family matters. Take the lead, guys, with the kids. Initiate things with the kids. Family outings, family vacations. Initiate, initiate, initiate. It shows that you care. It shows her that your family is number one. And it's absolutely certain in the Bible, Scripture, throughout Scripture, don't sacrifice your family on the altar of professional success, on the altar of church, on the altar of whatever else you want. Because it's got to happen from you. You've got to take the lead there. Um, discipline the children. Oh, uh, yes. let me just say it, actually, because this is so important. Men, discipline the kids. You put your foot down. And, and when you are a disciplinarian, it empowers her discipline. I'll let you share that. Okay, and okay. for heaven's <laughs> sake, don't let the kids rule the house. Um, I think we see that more off, more rampant in America. I don't know why, but kids are ruling their parents. So we want the men to be the final say. I love doing that to my kids. Wait till your father gets home. My son cries when I say that. I don't know why, but he does. And it's just the final, he's the final say. That's it. When your father gets home, you're dead. I spank harder. I know I do, but just she kidding. Actually, yeah, no. no, she spanks harder than me. But it is that, you know, that that line that she has in her back pocket all day long with the kids, wait till your father gets home. It's like every issue is just, whoop, done. They don't want they don't want to sit there and worry about me coming home for five hours. And uh, it's very important. Third area you need to take initiative is this, romantic leadership. You need to romance her. After you get married to her, after you get married to her, you need to be rico suave. Whatever you want to say, Casanova. 
all right? And when we're single, guys, I know, we strap on the sword, we take up our shield, we storm the castle, we slay the dragon, and we rescue the damsel in distress. But for some reason, once we're married, we hang the sword up in the garage, and we put the shield down, and we take off our coat of arms, and we sit on our lazy boys and watch television. And, like, the romance has just been <laughs> out of our lives. Uh, so take initiative and have a date night. And you do it. You set it up. And if you really want to be romantic, you set up the date night and the babysitting. He's very romantic. Every <laughs> so often he buys me a whole tank of gas. <laughs> <laughs> I he do. Does. I do. How many, how many know that in this economy that is very romantic? That stuff's not cheap. <laughs> we take her car, we go out, and I fill her tank after we're all done. And that is a very responsible romantic move. Because I'm not going to go into debt to be romantic. And you don't need to spend money to be romantic. You just need to show her uh, that, you, that you love her. All right? Number two need. Uh, number three need. I'm sorry. Security, leadership, taking notes. The C stands for, big one for the guys, communication. Communicate. You need to use your mouth. Now, the interesting thing about this, in the Garden of Eden, again, before Adam gets a wife, do you know what God had him do? We missed this. We, I've read it several times. This week I saw it. I was like, how did I miss this? Before Adam got a wife, he got a job to care for the garden. He also had a command from God to name all the animals. Now, how many know there's a whole boatload of animals on this planet? So guess what? For one old day, Adam had to use his words. And I never realized that. And God was saying to Adam, in that law, in that command, your words have creative power. Your words have creative power. Use them. Get used to communicating and talking and whatever he called the animal. That was his name. And so it's a symbol to us men that we talk. We learn how to give uh, our ladies, uh, our, our conversation. Proverbs 18.21. Check this out. The tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death or life. And those who love to talk will reap the consequences, good or bad. Your marriage, wherever it is right now, is probably the end result of the communication that you have shared with your wife up to this moment. What have you said to her? What have you not said to her that you should be saying to her? And so Cheryl has some good points about that. I'll give that one right over to her. Communicate. <laughs> okay, women need details. Um, one word you're going to have to get out of your old vocabulary when you get married is the word fine. How was your day, dear? Fine. We want to know who was there, how did it go, what did they say, what was their response, how were you feeling when they said it. We want details. <laughs> and that's just the way our brains are wired. And... When we were dating, we used to talk on the phone for hours. Hours. Literally hours. <laughs> then we got married, and I was like, he never wants to talk to me on the phone. And now it's just down to texting. Because literally, men don't like to talk. They just don't. And so it's almost something that you have to learn in marriage. You have to learn to literally physically you sit down and talk. And, of course, there's so many distractions now in marriages with kids and all the media, games, and video, everything coming together. So you really have to take the time and talk. 
turn off the television and talk. Turn off the television. And <clears throat> if this isn't happening in your marriage, you have to set a time. If you, if you can't figure it out because you're crazy schedule, well, then say, at 10 p.m., we're going to turn everything off. We're going to talk. And guys, I know this, like, this is like you'd rather, sh- you'd rather stand your armpits sometimes. <laughs> you know, like, seriously, i got to talk to you about a lot of stuff. And, and uh, there's statistics out there about how men use about half the number of words per day that women use. And then here's how the enemy comes and sets us up for failure. Men go to work, use up all their words. The wife's at home using none of her words. He comes home, his word tank is empty. Hers is bubbling over, ready to flow. And it's just like we're set up for disaster there. Now, here's the reality. You've got to lay it down. You've got to lay down your life. I don't want to talk. Well, then poo-poo on you. You have to do it. And you have to, as Cheryl said, you have to learn how to communicate. Now, here's, here's the great news, guys. You've gotta, you're going to want to learn how to talk because there are statistics that prove in the workforce of America, married men make more money than single men. Married men make 10 to 40% more money a year than single men. And the reason is not because they're married and they have to take care of a family. That's not the reason. The studies have shown. The reason is because married men know how to communicate with more different types of people, which makes them more um, valuable in the workplace. And it gives him people skills that he never had when he was single. I can tell you this point blank. Before I was married, I was absolutely clueless and tactless about how to talk to people. I really was. And, I, and Cheryl can tell you stories. I don't know I'm if she has. I'm in filter. She has become my filter. She really has. She has taken this, which used to get me into so much trouble. I used to say the most ridiculous things to people, thinking I was funny. And Cheryl would be like, and she would get mad at me. And then I would be like, what should I do now? And I hated those moments. You know, and, and, and then I learned, oh, my gosh, I really shouldn't say that kind of stupidity. And she has made me a better way. This is probably why, to single ladies, sometimes married men are more attractive. That's just because they've been trained. <laughs> and, how, and, and listen, she worked hard for that man to be like that. So how disrespectful is it to their marriage to say, I want to steal that man because he's good now? That's disrespectful. She earned it. Let me tell you something. This woman deserves a medal for dealing with me. I, I know. You think, well, I'm polished. I'm, I'm clear. I, I've got a very great personality. It wasn't nearly what it is today before I married this woman. I have college roommates, college friends who still talk, call me tactless Tim. <laughs> tactless Tim. I said, yep, no more. Now I'm Cheryl Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so you earn more money. You earn more money, and you learn to be a better communicator when you learn to communicate to your wife. So lay it down, lay it down, and uh, and you'll be better off. Cheryl, anything else? And going along with that, there, appreciate her verbally. We need to hear it. Um, and then, ladies, on the flip side of that, give them a chance to do it. I mean, us women, we never seem to want to take a compliment. The husband will say, "You look great," and we're like, "Yeah." We gotta lose weight here, or we gotta, you know, let them appreciate you verbally. Give them a chance to do that. Um, 
<laughs> and this is where you learn, you know, there's a business principle about when someone does something wrong and you need to correct them. And you first affirm them, correct, affirm. I learned that not through books. I learned that by being married to Cheryl. Because we had this deal where she parked in the garage. We have an issue with our garage. This is one of our fights. Always fighting about this. She doesn't know how to park <laughs> in the garage. She takes like three quarters of the garage when she parks. I have a baby. <laughs> she has a baby, I know. Um, but, I <laughs> so I'll come home, and this is what I used to do. I used to come home, and I would immediately, first thing out of my mouth is, you parked wrong again. And, uh, you know, I, that was like a bad night. Every time that happened, bad night. So I get trained. You get trained how to communicate. And so now I know what to do. She parks wrong. I come in, and I smell the dinner. I say, whoa, that smells awesome. Cheryl, you look beautiful. Whoa, the kids are well-behaved tonight. Everything looks great. Oh, by the way, the garage, you didn't quite park correctly. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it's so much easier. And you just learn how to do that. I'm becoming a better communicator because you're first a firmer and you esteem her. That's the next one. Yes, speak highly of her in front of other people. Um, sarcasm is a, is a relationship killer, marriage killer. I don't know why we think it's funny, but it's really, you know, it can really damage, do damage. Um, Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. So you have to think before you speak. Um, Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even fools are thought of wise when they keep silent with their mouths shut. They seem intelligent. Um, and in fact, there are 3.4 billion women who don't look like supermodels and only eight who do. <laughs> and even those eight don't look like look that, that way because they're airbrushed. Yeah. So... Yeah. So compliment her look. Right. Don't have, un, um, have expectations of your wife that are realistic because there's only eight supermodels. That's <laughs> right. 3.4 billion women don't look like supermodels. Eight who do. Yeah. So you're not married to a supermodel and uh, get that out of your mind anyway, again, because they're airbrushed and they don't really look like that anyway. Um, yeah. Sarcasm kills. Cheryl said sarcasm. It kills. And when you are in front of people, and we're talking from experience, we used to do this to each other. You, you throw out the little sarcastic jab at your spouse in front of other people because it's like your, your opportunity to just kind of like get your, your little argument in. And we think it's cute, and we think it's funny, and we really look ridiculous. Don't do it. Don't do it in front of people. Just in front of people, speak highly of each other. Talk each other up, sell, sell the crowd on them, and, and always, always say nice things about them, especially in front of people, because sarcasm is, is just a Because there's killer. no way to take that back once you do it in front, especially in front of other people. You know, I, I actually, first time I realized, because we used to do that when we were married at the very beginning, and the first, I saw a couple doing it, and I was like, ugh, that's terrible. That's what we look like. Yeah. So you have to, you know, be careful with that. So we lay it down. In conclusion, we lay it down. We lay it down for security. We lay it down for leadership. We lay it down in communication. Now, uh, I want to share a scripture with you, and then we're going to close with this thought. Listen, everybody here, every man, because we're talking to the men, and it applies to everybody, 
do you trust that Jesus has your best interests in mind? Yes? Anybody? Do you believe, do you believe that Jesus has your best interests in mind? Say, yes. yes. If he has your best interests in mind, then he'll never do something or tell you to do something that's actually going to hurt you in the long term. So Jesus said it like this. Luke 17, verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. We're talking about dying to yourself. We're talking about death by marriage. I know. This is like, you know, you think you think to yourself, what a, what a, what a bad concept. I've got to die to myself. I've got to lose my life. I mean, that's horrible. I don't want to lose my life. I like my life. I like me. I don't think I want to die to myself anymore. You're missing half the promise. When you die to yourself, here's the biblical standard over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture. If you lay it down, you sacrifice it. In Scripture, it always comes back better, more powerful, purer, more godly. That's it. So you're going to lay it down for marriage, but I guarantee you what you get back is going to be better than what you laid down. As Jesus laid down his life, now he's king of the universe. All right? He tells the disciples, lay down your life. Now they're in heaven. Now they're in the streets of gold. Now they're enjoying the, 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 the pleasures of God. And uh, contrary, men, to the pop culture myths that are out there, and they are out there. They're all over the place. We're inundated with them. Uh, studies show, I already talked about married men make more money than single men. So it pays to stay married. It pays to lay down your life for your wife. You get back better income. Secondly, I found out this statistic. Married men live longer than single men. They live longer. Studies show that staying single as a man is like smoking two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. Health-wise. That's the equivalent. And so um, you don't want to die young, do you? Get married. <laughs> It'll keep you living long. Well, obviously, you got to marry the right person. But, uh, you know, marriage is a blessing. So you, you might have to die to yourself to keep the marriage alive. Happy wife, happy life. But you're going to get a better life back. Okay? They did a study of couples from 1985 to 2000, to the year 2000. And this is financially again. 1985 to the year 2000, the uh, university, State University of, of Ohio found out that married people amassed an astonishing 93% more wealth than single or divorced people. 93% richer at the end of your life. It is better financially. It is better health-wise. It is better emotionally to work it out. To stay the course, to adhere to the vows that you shared on your wedding day. It's healthier, it's better. When you lay it down, I, I, I'm, I'm, we're sh I'm sharing this series not to hurt you and not to cause you frustration and pain, but to empower your life and bless your life. And when you lay, it, lay down your life in marriage, you die to yourself, guys, you become a better you, she becomes a better her. And you both become a better one together. 
I think that Cheryl and I, we've been through a bunch of stuff. We've been up and down. We still have struggles. We still have fights. That's never going to stop. That's never going to stop. We come from opposite uh, continents. continents. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, so, you know, that's just the reality. But we're not looking at right now. We're looking at where we're going. We know that for us personally and for our kids, the Lord is working on us. We're going to change, and we're going to get back in the end far more than we would ever, ever gain on going our separate ways. God says it is not good for a man to be alone. Aside from all the statistics, if God says it's not good, you better believe it's not good. Stick it out. Lay down your life. What you get back will be awesome. Why don't you stand with me?